0: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the GameDev.tv Community Podcast. My name is KB, I'm here with Ricardo, Brian, Aaron, and Ben Tristan. We gonna have Ben answering some questions, discussing them. Without further ado, here is episode number 20. So Ben, I want your thoughts on the podcast, because we've been doing a community podcast for 19 episodes, and people are probably confused as to what it is and what's your intention with it.
1: Yeah. Hey, Kevin. So firstly, thank you very much for kicking this off. You guys have done a great job getting this. I can't believe we're at 19 or 20 episodes now already. So thank you for launching it in the first place. I just wanted to give you guys some rope to start creating something the way you wanted to do it without us uh, really imposing any particular ideas. And I think you've done a a great job really starting to find your feet with the podcast. So I want to say thank you. And uh, longer term, yeah, we'd love to have a podcast as part of our portfolio of offerings for people, obviously free. That's the nature of a podcast. Discuss all things game dev, give people a wider perspective, um, just provide people with more fodder to listen to, more things they can listen to in the car maybe, the audio version. Uh, so yeah, all good.
0: That's awesome. So I wanted to ask, there's something that I saw in the Game uh, Patterns Twitch video, it was like, there's a possible Game programming Patterns course, you remember that? I remember that. I, I, I think I've
1: mentioned possible course a thousand times. How many of those courses are going to get built in reasonable time frame? I don't know. We, we try. Um, no immediate plans for a game programming patterns course, but 2020 could be the year for that. So it won't be this year, maybe, maybe next.
0: Awesome. And then some essential skills you think is very important for aspiring game developers.
1: Um, probably the I mean, there's two types of skills, right? There's the the generic skills, which are probably the more important ones that people are missing, and then there's the specific skills, like what do you need to know to be a developer game. So we help with the very basic beginner skills, um, and what you're going to need in addition to that is all the generic skills: the tenacity, the hard work ethic, the willingness to fail loads of times over and over again until you finally succeed. Um, they're they're the, you know they're the thing, doing what you say you're going to do. These sort of factors are the things that are going to determine whether you succeed or not regardless of uh of how many skills we try and teach you so yes take the beginner courses yes get started that way they don't teach you enough yet in our portfolio to actually release a commercial game so the people who have released Mm -hmm. commercial games as a result of our courses have just added their uh their good work ethic to what we've taught them and taken responsibility for their own learning and taken it a step further and got to where they need to get so uh, work as much on yourself as you do on the courses would be my my main advice.
0: And it's something that me and Brian were talking about. But it says in your Twitter, that you were like a failed astronaut. We're in like the story behind that.
1: <laughs> okay, so so yeah, when I was uh, from about nine, eighteen, nineteen years old, I was I'd come out of the air force. I'd been a a, a air force pilot cadet um, in the RAF. <laughs> And I was also very interested in science, and I, and I realized that a, a career in b- being an astronaut would be a great choice for me. So I started really pursuing that. I was a European Space Agency astronaut candidate. Uh, they uh, recommended me to a, to a TV program as somebody on their list. I didn't get very far at all with it, though, because um, two or three reasons. I don't really know reflecting on it why. I, I think that if I did it again today, if I had the attitude talking about those soft skills, those generic skills, if I had the skills I have today in terms of tenacity, understanding that failure can't tolerate persistence, etc. I think I would be an astronaut today. I don't know whether I'd be as happy as I am today. I'd be up, up in some tin can rather than here with my family. But I think the reason I failed was more, um, more a lack of self-belief and tenacity than it was anything else. Um, there were a couple of real reasons, specific reasons. Number one, I wasn't a good enough pilot. I wasn't like the best pilot in the country. Um, so, and I also wasn't a great scientist at the time. So I fell in a gap between a mission specialist and a pilot. Uh, and the other thing was that I've got a minor bladder complaint that, that, that um, shouldn't have been <laughs> an issue, but they're super fussy about anything medical. So, so a few things added together were enough to, to honestly, to, for, for me to, to give up on it. That, that's the problem. And that would be the same with a game goal. It's like, I want to make a great game. Um, do you want to be looking back on that in 20 years and saying, well, I didn't do it because of X, Y, and Z? Or do you want to just pursue it until you get there? Looking back on it, had I pursued it with complete tenacity and like literally showed up at their door and lived outside in a camper van, which I nearly did, um, and just annoyed them into employing me, I think I would have got the job. Um, and the same with you producing a game. I think that if you are tenacious enough and willing to fail enough times that you can do it. So that was the story there. Um, I'm still gonna be an astronaut, but a private astronaut. So I'm uh, gonna do it anyway, but not on a wage. Like SpaceX? And... Uh, no, probably Virgin Galactic.
2: Oh, okay. Nice. Yeah. What made you want to start gamedev.tv?
1: I didn't want to start gamedev.tv. I didn't know <laughs> I was going to start gamedev.tv. I had no idea about any of that. So this is one of the things about uh, a little bit of a lucky element and then building on what you've got. So, so to back it up a little bit, I probably spent 15 years designing the silhouette of this business and lifestyle I have now, but I didn't know anything about the specifics. I spent time in personal development seminars and in introspection writing down the sorts of pattern of the life I'd like, how I'd like to work, how many hours, what sort of money I'd like to earn, what, how much time I want to be able to spend with my family, how much time I need to be able to invest in my health, all those things. But I would have had no idea if you'd asked me even six years ago uh, what the vehicle for that, for achieving those things and being able to help a lot of people would be. I knew I could, I've got a lot of value and skills I could help people with, no idea what it was. Um, I had a degree in computer science, another degree in physics, um, and I just, I just started a Kickstarter on Unity because I wanted to learn Unity myself, mm-hmm. and there weren't any good resources, and that was a five or six years ago, 2014, I think, yep. and I just had all the audacity to sit on YouTube or on a webcam and say, I'm going to make the world's best Unity course, not knowing anything about Unity at the time, of course. And that was the sticking my neck out. What happened was that a load of people also decided they needed to low Unity and believed that I could help them. And then we did the hard work, which took years, to actually produce the course and, and follow-up courses that led to, led to that dream coming true. So Game Dev TV was born out of the fact that we had a Unity course, and then we had a Blender course, and then, oh, maybe we should do Unreal, and then maybe this is game development we're teaching. So it was, it, it, that's how it came about. It wasn't like, let's design something called Game Dev TV. Um, and now the bigger picture is we want to solve game development teaching and then use what we learned from solving game development teaching to widen that to other topics like development in general and maybe teaching in general in the long term.
2: I remember the early days well.
1: <laughs> yeah, thanks for being here that long, guys.
2: What is so, your advice on
0: people who can't seem to
1: finish their games, projects, or courses? Uh, chunk it down would be one thing. So, so suck it up and chunk it down. So, um, <laughs> so one, one piece of advice would be suck it up, princess, get it done. Um, you know, just, it's going to be hard. That's not going to feel good, but it'll feel good afterwards, like working out or, you know, dieting or whatever. Like I haven't eaten for 42 hours right now because I'm trying to lose some body fat. Easiest way to lose body fat is don't eat for a while, right? It's, it's not easy. Um, but I'm nice and lean. So that's good. Um, it's hard to work out. It doesn't feel good at the time it's, uh, you know, pursue things that are simple, but hard. So working out is simple. If you just go and lift some weights. it's hard because it's hard, you know, don't eat for a while. It's simple. Don't eat. It's hard because it's emotionally hard, right? Uh, the things that are going to make you successful in the with your game is going to also be the same thing. Uh, do things that are simple but hard. So that's the um, the suck it up um, bit, and then the break it down bit would be. Uh, break the goal down into smaller steps. So logically, you probably the first thing you think you need to do is, isn't probably the first thing you need to do. If you think the first thing you need to do is release a game on Steam or on the App Store that has many levels and hours of play, then you've just shot yourself in the foot because that is, that is going to fail. Your first game is going to fail. Um, your second game is going to fail. Your 32nd game is going to fail. You know, on average, it's going to be 40 games before you, you, you succeed. So you just need to fail, 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 and fail again. So your early failures may as well be firstly small, i.e. tiny projects, let's just make a simple web game and have a kid play it somewhere on the internet, you know, that wasn't my, my children or my friend's children. Um, and so fail small and fail fast, and then build it up and build up some momentum, build up a bit of a snowball.
3: Yeah, I think that comes back a lot to what we were discussing with Jakub, uh, that you can't have the perfect game, it's never going to be perfect, get it out. Not yeah, any, and maybe yeah. be a
1: little bit careful about your precious idea that you've been dreaming about since a kid um, that you're going to make into a game. Maybe don't make that the first game you release because the first bunch of games you release are going to fail. <laughs> so um, know yourself is the bottom line. If, you already, if you're already in your, you know, you've got a lot of life experience, you've got all the prerequisite skills in marketing and team building and you've got all the resources, and sure, go make that game first off. But if, if you ask yourself honestly, what are the chances of me as an individual leading a project that's going to succeed today with my precious idea. If the answer is not high, fine. Don't use your precious idea. Make a Pong game or a Space Invaders or something else that people have done before and just do it differently and better.
3: Yeah, uh, you see a lot of that also when you see some questions on game dev groups. You see people asking giant things, like, how do I make WoW? <laughs> yeah. I mean, That's the
1: way that you to make WoW is probably to go and get a job in the company that made it wow. <laughs> um if you yeah, want to start wow, then you're going to be an entrepreneur and you would probably already be doing it. Um or you build a team. You know you you, you, you but it's it's going to why do you want to make wow? I mean is it where are you coming from? Are they coming from their ego? Do they the only way that they can be satisfied is that, that they've made a game like World of Warcraft? Is it some romance that that they're going to build a game that they're so fond of? I don't know, but I mean, I would go deeper and ask your motivations. Why do you think you need to make World of Warcraft when you could make, you know, Crossy Road, which took you a few weeks and still made you as much money?
3: Yeah, I'd say probably the first follow-up question to those questions is, do you have a few million dollars? (laughs) To to do what with? (laughs) (laughs) To make a game as big as well, especially MMOs. Like people really want to create MMOs, people, don't realize how much infrastructure you need to keep the servers running. Oh, I mean, it's
1: the the, the the art budget alone for any big game is, is well, work it out. I mean, a big game has uh, maybe one and a half thousand man hours of work in it, right? So, and about a thousand of that's going to be art. So, a thousand man hours at final, at final cost is going to be... Um, going to be at least $30 an hour. I would have thought $20, 30 maybe more actual finish costs. So say $30 an hour. So $1,000 um, uh, an hour. Um, sorry, thousand, sorry, 1,500 years of work, not hours of work. It's going to be 1,500 year, man years of work to, to make this yeah. thing, right? So 1,000 man years of work at 2,000 hours a year, so that's 2 million hours at, say, even if it's only $20, $20 an hour, that's $40 million right there. Um, just for the art production in a big game. So now you don't have to have $40 million in your pocket, but you've got to start somewhere. And that money's ultimately got to end up in the pocket of the artist if they're going to sit there day after day making stuff for you. So if you want to grow something that big, you're going to have to start it small.
3: Yeah, Uh, I think a good start is the indie game movie. Is it the name? The one with the guys from Super Meatball and Braid? I think that's a good start knowing... How it is instead of trying to build something huge make something unique and fun
2: yeah.
3: the hard part is the intersection actually it's easy to do something unique and not fun and do something fun and not unique yeah it yeah, is tough you trying to design something
0: like very fun but like what is fun to you might be different to someone else the
1: unique bit i think is mainly to help you with the marketing um, it doesn't have to be unique to be a successful game, but it has to, probably has to be unique to cut through with the, from the marketing point of view. Yeah. Um, it may not even have to be unique. It may just be, you You know that the next Call of Duty is going to probably do all right if they do a good job. Nothing unique. but They have to do something a little different. They make zombie or this or that or the other. But um, the unique thing, maybe people get a little too hung up on. It needs to be a little bit unique. Um, something a little bit different for people to talk about, ideally. But... Just implementing something well and marketing it well is going to go a long way. There's always hunger for simple games genres that have been done before. I'm playing Tetris Effect at the moment, you know. There's not much unique about that game on the PS4. It's beautifully implemented. Um, I can't tell you one thing that's particularly
0: unique. It's just done really well. So. Makes sense. Yeah. What tips do you have in marketing games? Um, in marketing? mm mm-hmm. Like, where does someone would start just make like an Instagram start?
1: Well, that's the mechanics of it, but you need to, um, you need to start with what's your pitch. You know, what is, what is in six words or less? What, what is this thing? So you take it, how do you describe, how do you describe the experience someone's going to have in, in a few words so that you can get the message across like your elevator pitch? Okay. You know, so, you, you know, use blocks to create infinite, virtually infinite worlds. I mean, that would be maybe Minecraft or bunch of heroes save the universe, maybe the Marvel movies or, you know, um, you, you can summarize most movies, most books, most games in just a few words. And if you start with knowing what you're going for there, then that really helps you. So start with a pitch. Um, and then after you've got a simple pitch, then start making some sort of early product, early... Um, early material for people to engage with. You don't need a game for people to get excited about your sketches. You know, Kickstarter proves that. Mm. But you do need a pitch. You do need a dream, a goal. So get a few, try and get a pitch into six words or less. Really hard, but it's all, nearly always possible. Um, and if necessary, use existing uh, reference points and, and, and say, you know, this game is Grand Theft Auto meets Tetris. I mean, what the hell that would be? I don't know. But you get the idea. If you, can t- you could take reference points from um, other things that exist out there or you can do something, something new. Um, kid tries to survive, or kid survives, you know, across like desert it. or something like that. You know, I mean, you get the idea. You need a, you need a something that they get a, a kernel of interest, and then from there, the first bit of product you need is, um, is, is just sketches and ideas and um, and a community to discuss and let the community evolve the idea with you. So going to crowdfunding can be pretty pretty helpful in that respect because you get people's feedback very early.
3: Yeah, I'd and then just keep
1: finding out what people want and building it for them and repeating.
3: Yeah, uh, I played a very interesting game recently. It's pretty much Tetris meets physics. That was tricky a great Towers idea. was it? Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. There you go. So that's the power of that's the power of a short statement, right? Tetris meets physics, and I knew it was Tricky Towers. So yeah, there you go. All right, cool. so, so, so so, the fact that you can, you can get somebody interested in that game by saying that, if you knew that at the start, then, then you've already done a lot of the work. If you're going to make Tetris meets physics, oh, cool, well, what's that mean? And that, that, that creates questions in people's mind and opens a conversation rather than closes it down. If I say I'm going to create a football game, however ambitious that game is, if I just say that, there's no reason for you to continue to ask me about it. The conversation's ended. You're like, oh, cool, is what you're going to say and then walk and talk to the next person at the party. But if you were interested in Tetris or physics, and I said, I'm gonna make Tetris meets physics, then you might start asking, oh, well, what do you mean Tetris meets physics? You know, well, you know, in Tetris, the blocks perfectly land where they go, they either fit or they don't fit, but with physics, they would like what, fall over and stuff and bounce, yeah. Oh, what, weird, and you're gonna build a tower. You know, build, build Tetris tower with physics or battle physics building Tetris towers. So battle physics, building Tetris towers would be within six words and would give you straight away an idea of the experience of playing Tetris Effect. If you'd have come up with those five, six words before you started, you would be miles down the road with your marketing because the idea would be clearly communicated and would open up questions and conversation, open up conversation with the community about what does this mean and what could happen and what could it be like? And hey, there could be a battle mode and you could be, you know, whatever.
3: Yeah. And it can also help you define your MVP, right?
1: That is your MVP, really. Yeah. Um, well, no, sorry. You, I, I'm confusing unique selling point with MVP. You, I mean, Your minimum viable product um, there would be very, very simple. It would just be shapes that – tetraminos, basically, that have some physics applied. And you can do that in Unity super easily or in Unreal super easily. You just make some 2D or 3D blocks and put some physics on them and start playing with it and just – give that to people and say, do you like this? How tall a tower can you build in my super basic prototype? You know, that has just nothing, no music, no nothing. And just see if people are interested in the core experience.
3: Yeah. yeah. I think people get too hung up sometimes in polishing stuff instead of getting it out to test and see if it's fun.
1: Yeah, polish it before the kind of, before you say this is finished, this is a product. Yeah. Um, but don't polish it before you've found out whether people even care. Yeah. You may be the only person in the world who wants to play Tetris meets physics.
3: Yeah, and I'd say that's a mistake even AAA games make. Like, they waste so much time trying to make a huge thing and nobody wants to play it because
1: yeah, if they're it's doing their plan. job right, they, have a, they, they spend a few months on, a, on something early and then they go out, which is nothing for them. Um, and then they, they go out into a focus group and they get people playing and giving real feedback and they're pretty good at it. But yeah, you can do it wrong. You can completely invest in the wrong idea and never test that idea. You've just got to retest your assumptions that people are going to engage with this thing by having them engage with it. You need players from the word go, from within days or, or maybe weeks, depending on the complexity of your idea. You need somebody playing your game and giving you honest feedback. People you don't know as well. Not people who are going to say, yeah, it's cool, but people who are going to say, only going to pay attention if they if it's interesting and they, if they're enjoying the experience. They're not going to pay attention because they know you and because they want to please you. They're going to pay attention because they feel like paying attention.
0: Yeah, I agree. Have you ever thought about doing like – it's not seminar. Maybe like a seminar. We get people together, like an event. A game dev.tv event. Yeah, I was talking there's a company in London that could also help us promote
1: that. Um yeah, we potentially could. That that could be cool. Uh it's geography is one of the issues with a lot. I mean it would probably need to be east coast of the states if we to be near our that's probably our center of gravity if you stuck a pin in a in a map of all our students. Um yeah, it's a possibility. It won't be this year, but if anybody wants to 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 help head that up, that that'd be awesome. It could be a cool event.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I'd go to one in the UK, just saying. Yeah.
1: Yeah, if we could do UK. That would make it easier for me.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Maybe
1: one day the in the world. majority of the
2: students from the US? So, say again, Brian? Majority of the students? Where do you feel like they're from? I know you have students all over US, the
1: world. US, yeah. The, yeah, the, the biggest single com- country that our students are from by far is US. Um, and then, then we have people in every country in the world
2: beyond that, yeah. which is pretty cool since you've been playing with all the game engines, do you have a preference favorite? I know that that's kind of a generic question, but what's your personal favorite for game engines?
1: Yeah, It does depend what you're trying to do. It really does. Sure. Um, you know, I, I genuinely don't have a favorite. I genuinely think that it's like, if, if you play with them enough, it's like one's, one's a screwdriver, one's a hammer, and the other's a pair of pliers, you know? And you can knock a nail in with a pair of pliers, and you can you know you can hammer things with a screwdriver and so on and you kind of it will kind of work but it just doesn't suit the job and you can put a turn a screw in with a a pair of pliers you know but it's going to wreck the head so really if you've got unity godot unreal for example as three that we cover they really do have different different strengths and you don't know them until until you play with them and i think you don't understand engines until you've played with the third engine because you know three dots prove that something might be a line you know, so you get two engines. You think you're making a pattern, but, but you know, engines are like this, and you extrapolate, but then the third engine comes, like, somewhere else, and it's not in the line. You're like, oh, that's not what engines are. So really learn three, and then just then see how you feel about it, is what I would say, genuinely. Because there's something that they all do, a core that they all do, which I can tell you, or you can go and find out for yourself, and then there's stuff that they all do very differently. And if you... Sure. If you pick up the wrong tool for, for that job, you know you can hit you can you can hit a small tack in with a hammer and nail or a pair of pliers, but there's one of those three is much better for that particular job. You can turn a screw with any of those three. Hammer might be fun, um, <laughs> but one of them is best for the job. And you know, really, I would just look at look at multiple engines early on in your in your career because it will help you understand other engines better, um, and it will help you choose what's right right for you. I can't say go learn one engine because it really does different engines suit different people's
2: skill sets. Yeah no I would agree with that. I mean I I like Unity I think mostly because it's I don't know I guess I find it simpler but you know it does have its weaknesses for Unreal for other aspects of Development. Right. Super
1: simple. and You can do amazing games at Unity. You, you, you're going to be stuck for good visual scripting if you don't want to be writing code. You're going to you're going to have to do a lot more work to get the graphics. Anything like Unreal, you're going to not be able to do sophisticated AI programming. And it depends what you're trying to build. You exactly. know, if you want a game that's uh, that's 2D or is a hybrid of 2D and 3D, or is you don't want to be paying license fees to people, or you you want to make an open source based game, then Godot's you know second to none. Or you want to use a pi- a nice clean Python like language. Uh, so they all really have that I just can't answer that you've got to go and just do pick a project Build it in an engine and then once you've done that once a simple project and shared it and got it out to the world to people that you don't know Then decide am I going to do the next project in the same engine or do I want to try a different engine? And then just repeat that and eventually you'll settle on one or two or three engines
3: And depending on how simple the project is you can even do it and shoot different engines just to get a few yeah. yeah, that was kind of the plan for
2: the the YouTube channel. Kind of yeah. do the same game in a couple of engines. And depending on uh, the
1: game, you'll get different results as to how easy that is.
2: Yeah, Snowball. Snowball fight for it.
1: Yeah, yep. Snowball
0: fight game. Yeah. For a newer student of GameDev.tv, why is clean code so important? Why is what so important, sorry? Clean code.
1: Oh, why is clean code so important? Yeah. Um, because you spend... Because code is the interface between the human and the machine, and it does it works both ways it tells you what the machine is going to do and it tells the machine what you want it to do and if you don't have clean code you've got a very confused message about what you want the machine to do, and you will get confused about what you're asking it to do so it's all about clear communication on one level um, you spend a lot more time to write a line of code you need to read all the lines of code around it so if Reading clean code is much, much faster. You don't get any nasty surprises. If it's clean and consistent enough, you can, when you glance at it, you pretty much can assume it's doing what it looks like it does. Whereas code that's messy, when you glance at it, you can't assume it's doing what it looks like it does because it doesn't look like it's doing anything apart from making a mess. Mm -hmm. So you have to spend a lot longer reading it. So therefore, to even write a line of code, you're gonna spend so much more time. It's gonna slow your writing down massively because you won't know what to put where. In good code, you want to make a simple change. If it's well-structured, it's just obvious where that needs to go. And in bad code, you get to the point where you can't even continue to add to it. You get to the point, if you let your code get sufficiently messy, when you can't do a simple thing. Hey, I want the player to have more lives. Oh, I can't do it because I've just made too much mess. So you will just paint yourself into a corner with messy code. You can do it. It's quick and fast, and you can do messy code. Uh, you just better hope that you get your project finished before you, code gets so messy you drown in it.
0: Yeah, that's very important. That's why refactoring is important too. Yeah, yeah as you go. Refactoring yeah. as you go, ideas as you go. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, ju- uh, just like uh, version control, I think it's one thing that's very easy to ignore when you're getting started, especially by yourself.
1: Yeah, excuse the pun, easy to ignore. Yeah, I mean, I've just released a course on Git just, just a matter of weeks ago, and that takes you through all the basics. And I think anybody, even if you're working on your own, you should be using some form of local version control to, to, yeah. to uh, back up your project, to allow you to have the creative freedom to try things and, and jump back to previous stages that you know worked. Version control is very different to a regular timed backup if I've got time machine on my machine I can, you know I get backs up every hour. I could say hey, that's good enough It's not good enough because when it took that hourly snapshot the project may have been in a complete mess The point about version control is you're taking backups and the most basic level of an individual you're taking backups when things work when you choose to take backups so um, It's huge and that gives you the freedom to go back and, and to explore forward and try things that you may not otherwise have the courage to try. So plus okay. all the other benefits which you can find out about in our Git
0: course. <laughs> it's a great course. I highly recommend it for anybody. Oh, thanks, Brian. It's mm. short and sweet. Talk about courses. The math course, math for games, I think people need like an update, want to know what's going on. When's the first video coming out?
1: Yep. So the um, the live sessions start next week. They've been scheduled and announced for those people who are on those on that tier. The first video will be going to the animator today. So, um, and then I'm going to be my one of my primary focuses right now is shipping that course. So, I'm going to be aiming to uh, ship many videos a week, somewhere between five and ten videos a week, over uh, in, in from the very beginning of September. So, starting starting today, but at full production speed. Um, Next week, which is the last week in August and then the beginning of September.
0: As someone who says they're really bad at math, what would you tell them? Uh, say they, they can't be taught it, it's un, un- unteachable.
1: You didn't, I would say you didn't, you didn't say that about walking. You know, when you had That's the true. naivety of as a kid to not know how hard walking was. Um, but, but you see, as a kid, you had the role model that everybody else around you could walk. So you kept failing until you could walk. Um, we don't have the role model that everybody else around them is is, sufficient, is, is, is good at math. So you're just going to have to imagine and believe that if you want to be good at math and you think that it's beneficial, that you can be. And then you'll fail enough and then succeed at it. So, same story. Pers- you know, uh, Failure can't tolerate persistence.
3: Yeah, I'd say most people have issues with math, mostly because of mental blockers, not by real difficulty. They're just yeah. scared.
1: I think what I think what happens in some schools is that there's a a, uh, a positive feedback loop. I mean, I, I I mean positive by not that it's good. I mean positive that a movement in one direction leads to a snowball in that direction. So if um, if you start off a little bit better than others at maths, then you get the satisfaction and you get the teacher's attention, and then suddenly you snowball and you do a load more maths and you get graded it. Luckily, that happened to me. But if you started off just a little bit by just bad day, um, you know whatever just one little knock of your confidence Oh, can't get the right answer i'm not good at maths don't try so hard don't get the attention don't put the effort in snowballs the other way um but that was the past you can start again you can start afresh and go right i'm now going to create a positive snowball where i'm going to have a little series of quick wins and i'm going to build on them until i really do get good at it or as good at it as i need to be
3: yeah and the good thing about online learning is that you have all the time in the world one have, point.
1: Some, at some point, your probably age is going to catch up with you. But
3: yeah, but you don't have like you never know limited one hour segments to learn math with a bunch no. of screaming kids around you.
1: Exactly, exactly. So take a fresh start. Try and discard what's been there before. Um, be honest with how where your confidence level actually is. If you're really not confident, start at the beginning. We're going to start at the beginning adding and subtracting and what that means in terms of the number plane, um, and build it up. At the speed that's right for you. And keep applying it, using it, you know, testing it, pushing
0: it, being inquisitive. That's that's great. Because it leads into like what does somebody do after they finish a course? Because most people they're like, I'm done, but what next? Make a game, redo the course. What's your advice on that? Do
1: whatever you did when you originally decided, do whatever you wanted to do. When you first decided to buy the course, why did you buy the course? Oh, if I buy that, I could feel better about myself. Well, then feel better about yourself. You don't have to do anything. Um, I could boast to my friends that I finished it. Well, go boast to your friends you finished it. I could make a game. Well, go make a game. Um, I could make a little cinematic intro sequence for a friend's game. Well, go make a little cinematic intro sequence for your Mm -hmm. friend's game. So the, the point is try and remember why you did the thing in the first place and, and go back and do, and do that. Um, it's going to be different for everybody. Of course, making a game is one of those possibilities. But uh, there's other reasons you may have started that course. Go apply for that job you didn't have the confidence to apply for before. Go whatever it is.
2: No, I, I, agree kind of things, I guess into one of my questions was, how do you feel the course translate, any of those co- courses translate to kind of the business world side of software development i know when i originally took the course for example it was just to learn c sharp and just gaming was kind of a fun way of learning it at the same time
1: and so our proposition is learn to code by making games but i think those of you who take the courses know that we there's more than just game development in there there's a lot of snippets of other ideas about life and business in general and i think that if in your professional capacity you need to code or just do anything technical or just think rationally, then, then doing something like this, if the fun aspect, the game aspect of it, uh, gets you through it, then doing something like this is just going to improve your logical reasoning and your ability to think through problems and break down complex problems.
4: And you know, something that you've been touching on a lot here is self-confidence. and I think that's really one of the biggest aspects of this and being able to complete these courses these courses gives you a lot of that confidence. That's one of the best benefits of this, you know, the simplicity and the, and the basic, you know, the, the simple nature, the beginner nature of how you design all of the content.
1: Yeah, thanks, Aaron. So that's, that's the point. We want to build, ultimately, people will live into their self-image. They will, they will achieve whatever their current genuine level of self-confidence believe they will achieve. You can see people's inner world by looking at their outer world, what's around them, um, I believe. so. So if you're not doing so well, or you don't feel like you're doing so well, well, look, come on, there's the answer. If you don't feel like you're doing so well, you're not doing so well because you don't feel good. I mean, it doesn't... So, mm-hmm. so improve your self-confidence. by. How do you do that? By You've got all these stories, all this stuff that everybody told you about why you're not good enough, why you, you, whatever, your, par- your parents, your dead parents, your grandparents, your teachers, your bully in the school, all that stuff. The, 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 the way through that social proof that you're not good enough is to start actually doing stuff. And what will override that is the, the, re, the, the memory or the recent memory, even better, of an achievement that you, you actually did. And whatever voices there are in the back of your head, if you just did a thing, that your brain will probably believe that even more than all the voices in the back of your head. You just gotta go do the thing. Is it scary? Yes. Is it difficult? Yes. You just gotta move forward despite the fact, but despite all those things, right? Yeah. You know, I was worried I wouldn't be able to have this conversation because I haven't eaten for now nearly 48 hours and I didn't know how I would feel, but I'm like, and I'm fine. I turned out to be, it's okay. I mean, I'm hungry, but, but, but you can't, you can't let things stop you moving forward unless they actually stop you. So yeah, doing, doing, doing stuff in small steps and building, build exponentially like a snowball. If you don't have much confidence, don't try and do something that requires a lot of confidence yet because it's just going to lower your confidence even further.
4: Don't try and build an MMO
0: as <laughs> your first project.
1: Build. I think yeah. I might just rename the whole business. Don't try and build an MMO. <laughs> no, that wouldn't help a yeah. lot of people. I think
0: that just <laughs> help with yeah. the pain. So yeah, <laughs> might
3: kill sales though.
1: Where do I start? Not, <laughs> not with an MMO,
3: you tool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'd say uh, the confidence part is also one of the biggest benefits from learning from a structured course compared to YouTube videos because you have, quote-unquote, finalized product to at least be able to say, yeah, I made X.
2: Yeah, yeah and I you made did the steps better think.
3: <laughs> yeah,
2: you built on your knowledge too. Yeah, you yeah. From one section to another and, and rehashed the same topic and expanded it quizzes help too
0: in confidence when you get like a hundred percent you're like oh i know it i got this yeah it does
1: mean we've got to write them properly because half the time our quizzes are faulty so no that's not really true we get we get one in, a, one, in a, one in one in one in a hundred quiz questions we get an issue with and then we fix them immediately somebody tells us so
0: um,
1: but we do get people do do people do what i'm trying to say is to honor the fact that some people fail to get 100 percent in quizzes and sometimes it's our fault but if you tell us we'll fix it immediately
4: I got something wrong, Ben. Please change the answer to be my answer. (laughs) Uh,
1: Yeah. What you need to do is you need to identify that we've made a genuine reproducible mistake in the quiz and then we'll change the quiz. I'm not changing the quiz answers for every student to what they got wrong. (laughs) But it's worth a try.
0: Yeah, right. What's the craziest request or question
1: you've gotten From one of our students? Yeah. Just (laughs) in life. (laughs) Just clarifying, yeah. <laughs> um, all sorts of horrific things just popped into my mind that I don't think are suitable for the podcast.
0: Um, no, no, not
1: those. Strange expressions on their faces. Anyway, so um, <laughs> I don't know, you know, I, I can't, I don't have anything top of mind. I think we probably had a bunch of strange requests, but I think you need to bring that question back on a future podcast. Get me back in 20 episodes and ask that question again, and I'll look out for strange things in the meanwhile. I haven't been. I think everything 's a bit strange and and hence everything 's a bit normal, so they kind of brush past me, but now you 've mentioned it. Um, you set my reticular activating system and uh, and i will I will keep a better eye out for it you know okay. you don 't really notice things until you start looking for them. If I ask you to close your eyes right now and you can do it as an exercise if you like, and to name all the things in your room that are red now within the state of your eyes closed um, that 's quite hard. I can name one thing, which is a t-shirt over there um, because I wasn't looking for it before I mentioned that. Now, if I look around, ah, well that text there's red, these water bottles are red, that ball's red, that bag's red, that heart's red, uh, This dudes headphones are red. So I was, I didn't even notice any of that until, until I set my mind on looking for it. And the same goes with opportunity. So that, that, it, so I wasn't looking for strange things. Now you've mentioned it. I'm going to look for strange things between now and the next podcast. Um, but closing your eyes, and uh, I'm trying to remember what's in the room, is in itself a strange thing, so there you go. It's
4: kind of like yeah. uh, ownership bias. When you buy a Ford, you notice all of the other Fords on the road, that kind of thing. It's exactly the same as that, yeah.
0: Yeah. I feel like this podcast brought the motivator out of you. <laughs> the motivator. <laughs> Very positive. I should yeah, say it it. Gonna...
1: yeah, you should always think positive, but not when you're in the waiting room of an HIV clinic. <laughs>
3: Course, not. Yeah, I think man's <laughs> gonna close game dev.tv and become a life coach.
1: Okay. No, I, I i closed my life coaching business and opened game Dev TV. <laughs> That's the thing I ever
4: did. It would be P90X systems. for game developers. Oh,
0: that'd be great. Uh, 90 days you a game developer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can do it. Tony Horton style. Yes. Do your best and forget the rest. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> Very. Because oh, you ratchet it down like ten minutes a day, five minutes a day.
4: Yeah, like, coding right. on a in recumbent bike. Yeah,
1: <laughs> in a leotard. You might, uh, you might need, you might need, uh, you might need to do more than ninety minutes a. Uh, uh,
2: what is P ninety eight? it's not ninety. Yeah, it's minutes. ninety. Minutes, yeah. Well, it is ninety, but then they have like a forty five minute version and a thirty mm, minute. The third one has. Version. No, it's not ninety
1: minutes a day because I used to do it. It's ninety days program. Oh it's yeah, yeah, about, no, yeah, It's yeah. about 20, 25 minutes a day.
4: Yeah, my friend uh, that I lived with did that, and I could only keep up with him for about 15 minutes of it. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, good stuff.
0: No, that's great. Did you do PIDH3?
1: So I've got a message popped up on the screen, which I'll just discard from, not discard, but from Ricardo. So Ricardo's got to go. That's fine, Ricardo. Nice to see you. Thanks for being here.
3: <laughs> yeah, I have
1: 10 more minutes. <laughs> okay, well, that's cool. I've probably only got 10 more minutes as well, but <laughs> by then I'll passed out from lack of nourishment. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Can't have that. Back no, so. to the positive. What are the benefits of playing video games, making video games, being around video games? Um, it's
1: really good for making you overweight just sitting and playing computer <laughs> games. So if you want to be a sumo wrestler, then play a lot of video games, and you can, you know, grab some <laughs> some tacos in a computer game. No, uh, in seriousness, I, I let my kids play games as much as they like. For example, so um, I really think they are pretty cool. The our attitude with the games is that they're so one of the reasons they're so addictive is because you're learning stuff the whole time what you're trying to do most of the time is learn to beat the game whether that's a generally applicable life skills a different question but you're learning and the state of learning is a really healthy mental state to be in so one of the benefits is it it gets you addicted to a learning state now some of them take that too far and they train you to spend money. I mean, some of the horrible modern mobile games just literally say, "Drag this here, click here, do that." Oh dear, you need to speed this up. Buy some gems. We've given you some free ones. Now, that's not good. That's like trying to train a monkey to just give them money. But a, a, a slightly more spirited game, you're, you're the Witness, amazing puzzle game. Not the whole family played and got involved in that and loved it. And all every guest who walked into our house looked at it and said, "What's this?" And they got involved. Or, or Detroit become human. You know, I love amazing. Amazing, ridiculous, underrated game. I mean, it's well-rated, but it should be really well-rated. Uh, just incredible non-linear story, amazing human rendering and, emotion, uh, and motion capture. Um, just beautiful, fun experience exploring moral issues, etc. Some games just get you into a flow state. You know, Tetris, I play Tetris Effect just to get into that state. If I'm in the right mindset, I can get to, like, master level 14, 15, you know, something like that. Um, if I'm not in the right mindset, I'm getting to like level like eight, nine. And it's all about mindset. And that, and that's about flow state and in getting into the flow state. It's a measurement of whether you're in flow state. And in that state, you can't think about your, anything else about your problems about. So there's a, loads of reasons to do it. So many different experiences you can have from a game that you can't access through a passive film. So playing games is just fun and is fun important? Sure, of course it is. It's play. Play is vital. I was listening to a TED Radio Hour talk just yesterday about how or something a bunch of mass murderers that this guy interviewed had in common is they didn't have enough play as a kid. And play is just as important as an adult, you know. Uh, it lets you free associate. It really lets your brain just kick off, uh, kick back. So um, play, I really believe in the benefits of, and there's lots of people espousing those benefits out there on the web. Just just look, look, up, look that up. Um, the benefits of creating them are different, I think, quite different. Um, but it's a very challenging and cool form of programming, you, an environment where performance matters, where cleanliness of code matters because it tends to be a big and ongoing project, um, where just kind of almost everything matters um, and it's very multidisciplinary. You can take yourself in the direction of music composition um, or story writing or C++ programming or you know, the maths of procedural generation. So it can take because you're creating virtual worlds. It can take you virtually anywhere, which I love about it as well. So there you go, couple of couple of benefits.
0: Yeah, I love that. And I love the trope of in that game.
2: game. Mm. What, was, what was your favorite game? You're gonna
1: dig back. Uh, the problem with that is that Kahneman's peak end theory, right? You remember the the best get experience, which I think is what you're asking, but also the most recent experience. Um, so. Because of recency, um, Detroit Become Human was amazing. I'm loving Tetris Effect. Um, uh, because of a peak, you know, uh, The Witness was amazing. But then, you know, if also we... Also
4: depends on the genre. It like depends on the Like, I have favorites of different kinds of games, too.
1: Absolutely, yeah. I, I, my personal strategy is, is pretty mainstream. I look at IGN reviews, and if an IGN review is, like, eight and a half or above, I play that game unless it's in a genre I've repeatedly banged my head against. So if it's an NFL game or a football game or a or a, or a tennis game, I'm just not going to give it a chance anymore because I've tried that enough times and I just don't enjoy those games. But most genres I do enjoy if the game is outstanding. So I just always try and find out a few outstanding games and play them anyway. Um, so, I mean, if you go back further in time, then the fact that I can even remember it must mean that games like Doom or um, Diablo or Ultima or Whatever must have been pretty amazing. Otherwise, I wouldn't be remembering them 20 30 years later something like that. So um, You've got to factor that in if you can remember Wolfenstein, you know castle Wolfenstein 2d Pool of Radiance the original gold box version from SSI. Yeah, that's still one of my favorite games ever Exactly. And I remember an old Ghostbusters game just because it had a voice <laughs> in it. You were like the buzzing of flies to him. I nearly fell off my chair when that guy said that. It was a voice in a game. I mean, it was like 8-bit computers. Somehow yep. they'd like synthesized this voice, and I nearly fell off my chair. Mega um, Megablast, mainly because of the theme tune. and
0: whatever
1: it goes, not like that. But it's amazing, right? It's this uh, bomb. the bass made an amazing theme tune, and it was a game that had proper sounding music in it. So there's these peak experiences over over the years that really, ma- of course, all of the un- anything Naughty Dog make is without. Oh yeah, it's just automatically mm-hmm. up there. Um, so there's not one game I'm afraid, Brian. I, if there was one game that you said you were only allowed to have had one ac- access to one game in your life, it would have been late Raymond Legends, because I had more hours of fun with the family and with myself out of Rayman Legends than any other game, because it's the only game where I was completionist and decided to get all these blinking blue things called teensies, I think. And there's like seven or 800 of them to collect in the game, which means you need to play it a lot again. And, and there are these time trial levels where they basically seem impossible when you start them and you need to watch YouTube videos to find out what all the exploits are and stuff. So if it had to be one game for value and hours played and replayability, it'd be Rayman Legends. <laughs>
3: Replayability? I'd say Mario Maker is good for replayability. It's probably
1: amazing. I haven't started it yet, because I refuse to pay fifty pounds for it, but as soon as it comes on discount, I'm gonna be there. My son is reminding me on a daily basis to buy Mario Maker. It's fun.
2: <laughs> Super anyway, fun. Mario Super fun. I remember just the Super Mario Brothers, the original. By the time that hit guide came out, we knew where everything already was. We had played it so many times. Yeah. Right, exactly. <laughs> no some of these
1: iconic theme tunes yeah <laughs> so i know ricardo's got to go soon how are you doing for questions do we we,
0: we we still got questions do we there's a bunch of questions but um
1: <laughs> let's let's fire let, i'll take another couple and then i need to need to
0: need to run one well, was like about the G- gano c sharp course mhm yeah it was just when is it um coming out and plans on that
3: yeah,
1: so I, I asked the community recently, do you mind if I delay that? Because I don't want to just translate the existing games um, in the same version of Godot because that kind of sucks to use a technical term. It's hard to do technically and it's not you're not going to learn a lot by just... Tra- Nobody's use case is to take a, a GDScript game and translate it to C-sharp. Why would you do that? It's, your use case is, I want to use Godot, but I want to stick with the language I know, C-sharp, I think. So I've decided I'm just going to do a smaller course, a new course that's only C-sharp, uh, and different games, but not till the new year, not till 2020. Um, and then give people, what I think, what they want, which is how do I get going in Godot with C-sharp rather than what I think they don't want, which is how do I translate these specific Godot projects into C-sharp from GDScript, which is crazy.
0: Yeah, but um, how would one build a portfolio that stands out from the rest? How would one build a portfolio like of-, of just their... Projects or how would they stand out compared to other game developers? I think that's a better way. How would they share their portfolio?
4: Yeah.
0: How would they make
4: their portfolio stand out from the crowd? Oh, okay.
1: So two questions. So mechanically, the way to share it is either sharemygame.com, which we, by the way, has just changed. So it used to be something that we built, um, and it's now moving over to something powered by Simmer.io. So it's still branded, Game TV, et cetera, but it's going to be much better. It's going to be halfway between what we built, which was very, very basic, and Itch.io, which is very, very feature complete, but much more complicated to use. So a couple of good places to share your game would be sharemygame.com and Itch.io itch.io um, more importantly than the how we always have mad how diseases tend to answer the question how before like what and why and who the more important earlier questions um, why would people care you know what, what was your what, what was your feedback aaron you said what's unique about it or something what did you chip in how do you make it stand out from others yeah how do you make it stand out um several ways one is Just increase the hygiene factor a little bit. Just do it a little bit better. A lot of people are going to suck. They're just going to have bad graphic design, bad titling, bad capitalization, bad details, bad, it's just not going to look good. So make it not suck is one of the first things. That sounds simple, but it's hard, right? Because what does not sucking mean? It's, you know, um, but we kind of know what not sucking means if we're honest about it. If you can look at it as if it's somebody else's work, then you'll suddenly know whether it sucks or not.
4: Business. Otherwise, just
1: ask somebody who doesn't like you whether it sucks. So, firstly, <laughs> um, firstly, visually, does it does it suck? Because that people are going to judge it on that first few seconds. Um, that's probably the main the, the first thing. And then then make sure the games don't suck. So it's better to have one game <laughs> that one game on there that doesn't suck than five that do. Yeah. So the so the starting point seems to be make one game that doesn't suck, small in scope, <laughs> small in length, good in not sucking.
4: Yeah, it was kind of interesting. The very first game that Valve released was uh, actually the second game that we made, Half Life, because the first version of Half Life that we made kind of sucked. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it probably wasn't successful as a result, right? No, we just didn't release it. Sierra came to us and said, Hey, it's been 18 months. You're, it's time to put this on the shelf. And we said, uh, no. And Gabe paid, you know, basically ran the company out of pocket for the next 18 months for us to make half-life. Yeah. Well, Half-Life so we made half-life game. and it sucked. And then so we started over and took all of the stuff of half-life that we had made, took all of the parts of it that didn't suck and did that more and made yeah. half-life there you go. And then you, then you made
1: something remarkable. And would you need a portfolio if you'd built Half-Life, you know? So, exactly. no, you don't need a whole portfolio, you just need Half-Life. You don't need a whole portfolio, you just need, you just need Flappy Birds or Crossy Road or... Exactly. Or, and you don't even need something of that caliber, caliber, whatever you want to call it. You just need something a notch or two down from that to still be pretty remarkable and have a very good portfolio.
4: Polish is, is more, more valuable than a lot of people realize. Yeah. All of yeah, those so, little details make a huge difference.
1: Yeah, I think Ricardo was saying that people spend too long on polish. They do, but they spend too little time on polish late and too much yeah. time on polish early.
4: Exactly.
1: Right. So uh, polish that, very little early on that and that a lot later. Middle. What's
0: that? They just have to find a middle ground.
1: You now. just poli- you polish yeah. things when you finish making them, right? You don't you don't make a car and then you don't polish a car as you make. Well, maybe they do, but. Um, if if you're a craftsman and you're building something like a wooden statue or whatever you're not going to polish it till it's finished you know you need to start off asking questions like does even anybody want a statue of my whatever you know and then Mm -hmm. then if they do then is this the rough type of thing in clay and oh cool well if that's the rough type of thing how big do you want it well you know What features do you want accentuated, you know, and just iterate like that. The polish, the final polish is, yes, it's going to be judged on that ultimately. But that's the last thing that goes on.
3: Yeah. And I'd say it's important to also groom it a little. Uh, I mean, your portfolio, Mm -hmm. because it's easy to add stuff, but sometimes you've got to remove stuff. Absolutely. You
1: need one good game. That's it. Yeah anything that you're going to be judged on it's only as strong as its weakest link we regularly take games out of our portfolio because they're just not as good as the rest
3: it's
4: like being a dj you just need that one good track
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly cool all right No one else to wrap it up i want to test what do you see as like the future of gamedev.tv uh, uh, or just-
3: Life coaching, of course. Life
1: coaching. So, so, I mean, it would be nice if there was a little bit of like, I actually just, just did a, a revised master plan this morning. So, uh, about two hours ago. So, that's quite helpful. Um, so, the focus right now is to is to stabilize what we've got on our own platform. So, we want to add the ability to take courses on Udemy. We want to add to that the ability to take courses on our own platform to give us a lot more flexibility to make intermediate content and to sell bundles is the main thing. Bundles of courses and learning journeys. We also want to be able to add the ability to get guided help with your course taking. So help you build your portfolio, help you get diplomas, help you to find a mentor, that type of thing. So where I'd like to be in a a couple of years is to have um, around about 20 to 25 great courses. We'll have me to have made thirty or so to and trimmed them back as as uh, Ricardo just said. You know, sometimes you need to cull some of that stuff. So in in say twenty twenty one, I would like to have about twenty to twenty five courses, co- deeply covering Unity, Blender, and Unreal as an absolute minimum, including mobile and multiplayer, um, on a variety of different levels from both beginner and intermediate, and. All all available on our own platform, on a variety of different ways of, of engaging. You can pay one off. You can you can have some free content. You can buy them on a payment plan if they're a more expensive course, or you can become a subscribed member. Um, if we do that and we integrate it properly to the community into Discord and and the like, then you should have a pretty much a one stop shop for starting your game development journey and getting to the point of release of your first simple game.